0: There's a light out at the edge of the world, and it's the light that burns inside us all. It's a light that can blind, and it's a light that can show us the way. Sometimes the journey is solo. Sometimes we take it together, but always we meet on new horizons. It's the Tuesday night before Christmas. Christmas tradition, our Christmas special, turn the clock back to a time when radio was the popular form of entertainment, a theater of the mind. Let's listen, like we do this time of year, to the 1939 Campbell Playhouse production of A Christmas Carol, starring Orson Welles and Lionel Barrymore. And for a feel-good piece, even though it's a real dark story, in the second hour, the 1947 Lux Radio Theater production of It's a Wonderful Life, starring the original stars Jimmy Stewart and Donna Reed. Let's curl up, have a listen together.
1: Of Campbell Soups present the Campbell Playhouse. Orson Welles, producer.
2: Good
3: evening, this is Orson Welles clearly a number of ways in which a Christmas carol could be introduced. Myself, I am most struck by the happy fortune that enables us on this Christmas Eve to present Mr. Lionel Barrymore, the best-loved actor of our time, in the world's best-loved Christmas story, A Christmas Carol. When Charles Dickens presented this little story to the world almost a hundred years ago, it found an instant response in the hearts of people everywhere who saw In it, their favorite fictional chronicle of what Christmas is and what Christmas means to all the simple people of the earth. From the day of its first printing, families have been innumerable in which there has remained unbroken the tradition that the reading of a Christmas carol was an item indispensable to a proper observance of the most important of days. It is the American way, as we know, to establish traditions quickly ...where popular instinct and sentiment pronounce them sound. And so it is that today, actually only the fifth anniversary of Mr. Lionel Barrymore's first playing... ...of the part of Ebenezer Scrooge for the Campbell Playhouse... ...there is, I think, in all America nothing more eagerly awaited... ...more firmly rooted in the hearts of the radio family that numbers millions... ...than this yearly performance of A Christmas Carol. A Christmas Carol, as Charles Dickens wrote it, has by common consent long been a classic... Mr. Lionel Barrymore's appearance in it is rapidly becoming one. And now, just before a Christmas carol, Ernest Chapel has a special
1: Christmas greeting from the makers of Campbell's Soups. Mr. Chapel. Thank you, Orson Welles. As the old year draws toward its close, we of Campbell's feel a bond of warmth and gratitude toward each of you, our friends. For you see, in homes everywhere throughout the land, Campbell's Soups have been welcomed. Day by day and week by week, You have placed confidence in us and in the foods we make. And there isn't anything we appreciate more deeply than the fact that so many of you have elected to let Campbell's make your soups for you. And so when Christmas comes, we look about to find some way to show our appreciation, some Christmas present by which to say thank you. The gift we chose five Christmases ago and have chosen each year since has become a part of Christmas to many and many a family. It has become a Christmas custom, as Mr. Wells said, to gather round the radio to hear and to enjoy a Christmas carol. And since it is Christmas Eve, we hope, too, that the younger members of the family are permitted to stay up and listen before dreams and visit of Santa. We get a great deal of pleasure planning and preparing this Christmas gift, and now it's ready. Off come the wrappings, off come the tags that say, please do not open till Christmas. Out comes the cards. To you, from Campbell's, and here is the gift itself.
3: A squeezing, wrenching, grasping, scraping, clutching, covetous old sinner. And once upon a time, of all the good days in the year, on Christmas Eve, old Scrooge sat busy in his counting house, a grim, cheerless place if ever there was one. The door of Scrooge's counting house was open that he might keep his eye upon his clerk, Bob Cratchit, who in a cold and dismal little cell beyond worked at his
4: ledger's. Merry gentlemen, let nothing you despair. 23, 26, 29, 9 carry two. Christmas Day. 11, 13, 17, 17... 17. Bob uh, uh, Yes, Mr. Scrooge? Stop that infernal
5: caterwauling Yes, sir. 9, 15, 17, carry one. Oh, singing their idiotic Christmas carols at my very door. Go on, get away from my door. Go somewhere else and fellow your blasted carols or I'll give you in charge.
2: Sorry, Governor, it's an old custom at Christmas time, you know. Yes,
5: and I don't want any of your old customs. Take your fellow fools and go away. Christmas. Blah.
2: Right, sir.
5: Merry Christmas, anyway, sir. Yeah. Now you get that letter from Higgins and Blackthorn, Cratchit, and then I want you to finish posting this ledger. And after that, you can pop over to Fothergill's and tell Ephraim, for him, Fothergill, you've come after the 17 shillings and sixpence he's owed me since Michaelmas and tell him I shall have a constable over there if he doesn't pay up at once. Uh, Mr. Fothergill's wife has been ill, sir. Oh, what do I care about his wife? I want my 17 and 6. I uh, just thought it being Christmas, sir. Christmas, (laughs) Christmas. You mention that word to me once more, Bob Cratchit, and now will Merry Christmas, Uncle. Merry Christmas, Bob. Merry
6: Christmas, Mr. Fred.
5: God save you, Uncle. Uh, Humbug. Christmas a humbug, Uncle. (laughs) Now I'm sure you don't mean that. I mean just that. Exactly that. Merry Christmas. What right of you to be merry? What reason have you? You're poor enough. Well, what right of you to be dismal about
7: Christmas, Uncle?
5: You're rich enough. Yeah. Now, Uncle, don't be cross. Well, what else can I be when I live in such a world of fools? What's Christmas to you but a time for paying bills without money? Merry Christmas time for finding yourself a year older and not an hour richer. If I could work my will, every idiot who goes about with Merry Christmas on his lips would be boiled with his own pudding and buried with a stake of holly through his heart. He should! Uncle? Now, nephew, keep Christmas in your own way and let me keep it in mine. Keep it? But you don't keep it, Uncle. Well, let me leave it alone, then. What do you want? A Christmas gift, I have no doubt. I came to wish you a Merry Christmas, Uncle. A Merry Christmas. Much good may Christmas do you. (laughs) Much good it ever has done you. There are many things from which I derive good, by which I have not profited
4: materially, I dare say, Uncle. Christmas among the rest. But I have always thought of Christmas time as a good time. A kind, forgiving, charitable, pleasant time. And therefore, Uncle, though it has never put a scrap of gold or silver in my pocket, I believe it has done me good and will do
5: me good and i say god bless it
2: god bless christmas hurrah
5: let me hear another sound out of you there bob Cratchit, and you'll keep your christmas by losing your situation as to you nephew i wonder you don't go into parliament you talk enough nonsense oh don't be angry uncle i want nothing from you i ask nothing of you why can't we be friends good afternoon i'm sorry you feel that way well i've tried A Merry Christmas to you, Uncle. Good afternoon. And a Happy New Year, too. Ah, humbug.
2: And a Merry Christmas to you, Bob, and the missus, and the Tiny
5: Till. Thank you, Mr. Craig. Same to you, sir. Good day, sir. Good day, Bob. Nonsense. Twaddle. Flummery. the talking of Christmas and not two sixpences to jingle together in his trousers pocket. Hey, hey, you there, Bob Cratchit. Come here. What are you doing there? Uh, only putting a bit more coal in the fire, Mr. Scrooge, seeing it's so cold in there, sir. You put that coal back into the scuttle. A fire. A fire, indeed. I can tell you, if you use coal at that rate, you and I will soon be parting company, Bob Catchett. Do you understand that? There's many a young fellow like your situation, you know. Oh, I'm sorry, sir. My fingers were getting a little stiff with the cold. Well, then put on your mittens. Someone at the door. Go on, see your it is. Uh, yes, sir.
4: Good afternoon, sir. Good afternoon.
5: This is the firm of Scrooge and Marley? Yes, sir. I should like to see the head of the firm, if I may. Oh, very good,
8: sir. What is it? A uh, gentleman to see you, Mr. Scrooge. Huh? Have I the pleasure of addressing Mr. Scrooge or Mr. Marley?
5: Marley's been dead these seven years tonight. I'm Scrooge. now, well, Mr. Scrooge, at this season of the year, it's only fitting that we who are more fortunate
8: should raise a fund to buy the poor some meat and drink and means of warmth. You may not believe it, sir, but many thousands are now in want of common necessities. And hundreds of thousands are in want of the simplest comforts,
5: sir. Uh, Are there no prisons? Well, there are plenty of prisons, sir. And the workhouses, they're still in operation, I trust? I wish I could say they are not, but they are, sir. The treadmill and the poor law are in full vigor, then? Both very busy, sir. (laughs) I'm glad to hear that, (laughs) I was afraid from what you said at first that something had occurred to stop them in their useful
8: course. No, sir. All these institutions that you mention are flourishing. But it's nevertheless true that some additional provision for the poor and the destitute must be made. Ah. A few of us upon change are endeavoring to raise such a fund, you see. And uh, what shall I put you down for?
5: Nothing. Oh, I see. You wish to be anonymous, sir. I wish to be let alone. I don't make merry myself at Christmas time... And I can't afford to help make a lot of idle people merry. I help to support the establishments that take care of the poor. They cost enough, let those who are badly off go there. Many can't go there, sir, and many would rather die. Well, my advice to them is to do so and decrease the surplus population. Besides, I've only your word for it that all this is so. It's the truth, Mr. Scrooge. Well, so be it then. It's not my business. It's enough for a man to understand his own business and not to interfere with other people's. Mine occupies me constantly. Good afternoon, sir. I quite understand, Mr. Scrooge. Good Thank you. Show this gentleman out.
4: Yes, sir. Uh, this way, sir, please. Sir, I couldn't help overhearing. I should like to contribute threepence. Thank
0: you. Uh, yes,
4: sir. It isn't much, but it's all I can afford. But there are others in worse situation than I. You're
5: a generous fellow. I wish I might say so of your employer.
4: Cratchit, yes, sir. Good afternoon, sir. Good afternoon, Cratchit. Merry
5: Christmas. And
4: Merry Christmas. Yes, sir. Close the door. Yes, sir. Twenty-four, thirty-one, one and carry three. New scarlet tippet for Tiny Tim. A comb for Martha. Thirty-three, three and carry three. A hair ribbon for Belinda. Four, seven, twelve, fifteen. Magic! Yes, sir.
5: It's too late to have you go to Fothergill's. He'll be closed up for Christmas like these other fools. We may as well close up the place now. Yes, sir. It is getting a little dark. Hard to see the figures. I suppose you'll want the entire day tomorrow. If it's quite convenient, sir. It's not convenient. And it's not fair either. But I suppose I can't do anything about it. If I was to stop half a crown of your wages, you'd think yourself very ill-used, I'll be bound. Well, sir, I... Yeah, but you don't think me ill-used when I pay a day's wages for no work. It's only once a year, sir. Once a year. Once a year, indeed. A fine excuse for picking a man's pocket every 25th of December. But I suppose there's no good talking. You must have the whole day. Well, see that you're here all the earlier the next morning. You understand? Oh, I will, sir. I will indeed. Good
4: night, sir, and Merry Christmas. Ah. Merry
2: Christmas! Ah.
3: The office was closed in a twinkling, and Bob Cratchit, with the long ends of his white comforter dangling below his waist, he boasted no greatcoat, went down a slide on Corn Hill 20 times in honor of its being Christmas Eve, and then ran home to Camden Town as hard as he could pelt to play with his family at Blind Man's Buff. Scrooge, on the other hand, took his melancholy dinner in his usual melancholy tavern, and having read all the newspapers and spent the rest of the evening with his banker's book, went to his dismal house darkness is cheap, and Scrooge liked it. The yard was so dark that even Scrooge, who knew its every stone, had to grope with his hands through the fog and the frost to find the door. Scrooge walked through his rooms to see that all was right. Sitting room? Bedroom? Lumber room? All as they should be. Nobody under the table, nobody under the sofa, nobody under the bed, nobody in the closet. Close the door. He locked himself in. He double locked himself in. And took off his cravat, put on his dressing gown and slippers and his nightcap, and sat down before the fire to take his gruel.
2: Mm-hmm. <coughs> Molly. Molly?
5: Molly! I could have sworn I saw. Ah! Humbug. molly well, has been dead these seven years. Humbug. All humbug. What I need is a good night. Ra- what? What's that? Someone's in the wine, But the door's locked and double locked. Something's it's, it's coming. Some. Something is it coming closer outside my door. Ah, stop. I won't believe it. It's humbug still.
7: Ebenezer it's... Scrooge. Ebenezer Scrooge.
5: <gasps> Marley. <gasps> oh, no. What do you want with me?
7: I want much of you, Ebenezer.
5: Ooh. Who? are you?
7: Ask me who I was. Oh, huh.
5: You're very particular for a ghost. All right, then. Who were you?
7: In life, I was your partner, Jacob Marley. Jacob Marley. But you're
5: dead. You died seven years ago.
7: Seven years ago this very
5: night. You are a ghost, then.
7: What's wrong, Ebenezer? Don't you believe in me?
5: I do not.
7: You doubt your senses, Ebenezer?
5: Yes, yeah, yes, yeah. because a little thing affects them. A slight disorder of the stomach makes them cheats. You can't be a ghost. You you may be an undigested bit of beef or a blot of mustard or a crumb of cheese, a fragment of an underdone potato. (laughs) There may be more gravy than grave about you, whatever you are. Ah, humbug, I tell you. Humbug.
2: Excuse me, Frick.
5: Excuse me. I do believe You are a ghost, Jacob. Thank you. Why do you you walk the earth, Jacob? Why do you come to me?
7: It is required of every man that the spirit within him should walk abroad among his fellow men and travel far and wide to witness what it cannot share but might have shared on earth and turned to happiness.
5: Well, tell me, Jacob. Did, what is that chain you wear around you?
7: I wear the chain I forged in life. I made it link by link and yard by yard by my own free will. Is its pattern strange to you, Ebenezer?
5: Cash boxes, keys, and padlocks, and ledges, and purses. Yours and...
7: was as heavy and as, as long as this seven years ago have labored on it since,
5: Ebenezer. Oh, Jacob. Speak comfort to me, Jacob.
7: Comfort I have none to give. I cannot rest, I cannot stay, I cannot linger. Weary journeys lie before me.
5: You travel fast?
7: Yes, Ebenezer, on the wings of the wind. Uh. Seven years dead
5: and traveling all the time?
7: Seven years, Ebenezer. Seven years of remorse. Ebenezer, do you know that no space of regret
5: can make amends for one life's opportunities misused? But you were always a good man of business, Jacob. Business. Mankind was my business.
7: Charity, mercy, benevolence. They were all my business. The dealings of my trade were but a drop of water in the comprehensive ocean of my
5: business. Ah, Jacob, Jacob, don't take on so now. Jacob.
7: Listen to me, Ebenezer.
5: i listen to you, Jacob. Go on, Jacob, now. Speak to me, but don't be so flowery.
7: Ebenezer, I am here to warn you that you have yet a chance and hope of escaping my fate. Do you hear that? Yes,
5: Jacob. Yes, you always were a good friend to me, Jacob. Thanks, Jacob. But but go on, go on, go on, go on. How shall I escape? Oh, I'm afraid, Jacob.
7: You will be haunted by three spirits.
5: Is that the only chance and hope, Jacob?
7: It is your only chance and hope.
5: Well, then I think I'd rather not.
7: Without their visits, you cannot hope to shun the path I tread. Expect the first tomorrow when the bell tolls one.
5: Couldn't I take them all at once and have it over, Jacob?
7: Ebenezer, look that for your own sake you remember what has passed between us. And remember, when the bell tolls one, look for the first spirit.
2: Molly. Take a molly!
3: awoke. He was lying on his bed fully dressed. Suddenly the curtains of his bed were drawn aside and Scrooge found himself face to face with the unearthly visitor who drew them as close to it as I am now to you. And I am standing in the spirit at your elbow. It was a strange figure, like a child. Yet not so like a child as like an old man. Its hair which hung about its neck and down its back was white as if with age, and yet the face had not a wrinkle in it, and the tenderest bloom was on the skin. The arms were long and muscular; the hands the same, as if its hold were of uncommon strength. Ebenezer
5: Scrooge. <gasps> who, who, who's that? Ebenezer Scrooge, I have come for you. Oh, you uh, uh, are you the spirit, sir? Who's coming was foretold me. I am that spirit. <sighs> oh, what are you? I am the ghost of Christmas past. <laughs> Long past? No, your past. But oh, what do you want me? Oh, what brings you here to haunt me? Your welfare, Ebenezer Scrooge. Rise and walk with me.
2: Oh, no, 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 not
5: not out of the window. I can't do that. I'll, I'll fall down. I'm not a spirit. I'm mortal, and I'll fall. Bear but a touch of my hand upon your heart, and you shall be upheld in more than this. Come, follow me. Where are we? What's become of the city? There's snow upon the ground. Where are we? These are the shadows of the things that have been. You recognize this countryside? Oh.
2: Oh, I know
5: every inch of it, every rock, every tree. And that bleak building over there? Oh, that building. I was a boy there. Yes, I went to school in that Horrible place. Do you recollect that path? <laughs> I could walk it blindfold. Strange you should forget it so many years. Come, let us go closer. Look through the window into that cold, barren room. What do you see, Ebenezer Scrooge? I see a boy. A solitary child, neglected by his family, alone. Yes, yes, I see. I know that boy. Oh, oh, I was so lonely. Poor boy. Your lip is trembling, school. And what is that on your cheek? It's nothing, nothing at all. I wish I, ah, it's too late now. What's the matter? Nothing, nothing. The waits came to my door singing Christmas carols last night, and there was a boy like that among them. A poor, pale, thin little boy in a ragged coat. I should like to have given him something, that's all. Is that all? Come, Ebenezer Scrooge, let us see another Christmas. Do you know this place, Ebenezer Scrooge? Know it? Know it? Why, this is the counting house where I was apprenticed. Listen,
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's my old master,
5: bless his heart, old Fezziwig, my master, alive again, and hosted one of his Christmas
2: parties.
5: And there's Dick Wilkins, poor oh,
2: Dick, dear, dear, dear.
5: Yes, and look,
2: there's Mrs.
5: Fezziwig herself, looking younger than any of them. <laughs> and the tables, all loaded with roast and cider and mince pie and beer. Oh, what a jolly time we used to have. That carefree young man with a light heart and a gay smile. Do you recognize him? Yes, yes, yes. Merciful heaven. <clears throat> How happy I was then. A small matter for old Fezzerwig to make those silly folk so full of joy. Small matter? Small indeed. Isn't it? He has spent only a few pounds of your mortal money. Is that so much that he deserves praise? Ah, it's not that. It's not that, spirit. Old Fezziwig has the power to make us happy or unhappy, to make our service light or heavy. His power lies in words and looks and in things so tiny that it's impossible to count them up. The happiness he gives is quite as great as if it cost her. Uh... <sighs> what is the matter? Oh, nothing, nothing at all, Spirit. Something, I think. No, no. Speak. Well, only it's just that I should like to be able to say a word or two to my club, Bob Cratchit. That's all. Oh, oh.
2: last and retire!
5: My time grows short, and we have yet another journey to make. Where now? Come. This is our last visit to the past Ebenezer. Here, in this little room, with a fair young girl by your side. Do you recognize yourself, Ebenezer? (gasps) No, 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 no. Spare me this. You're older now. A man in the prime of life. Your face has begun to wear the signs of care and avarice. Your eyes are greedy. The eager, restless eyes of a miser. No, no, please. She knows it, too. That girl by your side. There are tears in her eyes.
4: That is little that to you. Very little. I know that. Belle, have I changed toward you? when we were engaged we were both poor was it better then better to be poor better at least to be happy you're changed you were another man then i was a boy do you blame me because i've grown wiser have i ever tried to break our engagement in words no never in what then in a changed nature in an altered spirit in everything that made my love of any value in your sight so I release you from your promise. Belle! Oh, at first it may cause you pain to lose me, a very brief pain, but soon it will be dim, like a half-remembered dream, an unprofitable dream. And you will be glad to be awake from such a dream. May you be happy in the life you have chosen, Ebenezer, for the love of him you once loved.
2: It's enough.
5: Show me no more, take me home. These were shadows of the things that have been. That they are what they are, do not blame me. No, no more, no more. One shadow more, come. Do you see this man, Ebenezer Scrooge? This man might have been you, and the woman beside him, your wife, and that girl. That girl might have been your daughter, Ebenezer Scrooge. She might have called you father. She might have been a springtime in the haggard winter of your life. Spirit, let me go. Show me no more. Listen now while they speak, Ebenezer.
7: Bell, I saw an old friend of yours today.
4: Who was it? Yes. How can I? It's Oh, I know, Mr. Scrooge.
5: Mr. Scrooge it was. I passed his office window. It wasn't shuttered.
3: And there was a candle inside, so I couldn't help seeing him. His partner, Marley, lies at the
5: point of death, I hear. And there Scrooge sat, all alone. Quite alone in the world, I do believe. Spirit, Spirit, I can't bear any more. Leave me. Haunt me no more. Take me back. Take me back.
2: On the feast of Stephen, when the snow lay round about, deep and crisp and even, brightly
1: You are listening to the Campbell Playhouse, bringing you tonight the fifth annual presentation of Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol, produced by Orson Welles, and starring Lionel Barrymore as Scrooge. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System.
2: Bring me this
3: is the WBBM Air Theatre, Wrigley Building,
2: Chicago. When we bear them fizzards, page and monarchs, forth they went, forth they went together, through the rude winds while the men and the fields are
1: And now, back to the Campbell Playhouse and our fifth annual presentation of A Christmas Carol. A Christmas present from the makers of Campbell's Suits.
3: On the stroke of one, Scrooge awakened suddenly and sat him bolt upright in his own bed. You remember the words of Marley's ghost and wondered from which direction the second specter would appear. At that moment, nothing between a baby and a rhinoceros would have astonished him very much. Now, being prepared for almost anything, he was not by any means prepared for nothing. And consequently, when no shape appeared, he was taken with a violent fit of trembling. Five minutes, ten minutes, a quarter of an hour went by, yet nothing came. Then, as he sat in his bed, he became aware gradually of a great blaze of ruddy light that seemed to shine upon him from the adjoining room got up softly and shuffled in his slippers to the door. It was his own sitting room, no doubt about that. But it had undergone a surprising transformation. The walls and ceiling were so hung with living green that it looked a perfect grove. From every part of which bright gleaming berries glistened and such a mighty blaze went roaring up the chimney as had never been known in Scrooge's time or for many and many a winter season gone. Heaped up on the floor to form a kind of throne were turkeys, geese, game, poultries, great joints of meat, sucking pigs, long wreaths of sausages, mince pies, plum puddings, barrels of oysters, red-hot chestnuts, and seething bowls of punch that made the chamber dim with their delicious steam. In easy state upon this couch, there sat a jolly giant, glorious to see, who bore a glowing torch in shape not unlike Plenty's horn and held it up, high up to shed its light on Scrooge, as he came peeping round the door.
5: Come in, come in, Ebenezer Scrooge, and know me better, man.
2: Sure, sure. I
5: am the ghost of Christmas present. Look upon me, you have never seen the like of me before. Sure, you are different from the other spirit. You're tall, almost a giant, that, that great torch you carry. Its light falls into the homes of rich and poor alike. Spirit, take me where you will. Last time I went against my will and learned a lesson which is working now. If you have anything to teach me, let me profit by it. Touch my robe, Ebenezer Scrooge. Touch my robe. Where have you brought me, Spirit? An humble dwelling, an humble street. (laughs) It's miserable, enough. Yet there is happiness there. Who are these people? Who's that woman and the children? These are the family of your clerk, Bob Cratchit. See his wife, dressed in a twice-turned gown, but brave in ribbons, laying the table for their Christmas dinner. And there, assisting her, is her daughter Belinda, and the young man with a fork in the stuffing. That's Master Peter Cratchit, and the
2: two little Cratchits
6: and Scrooge. Here's Martha, Mother. Martha! God bless your heart alive, Martha, my dear. Merry Christmas to you. Merry Christmas, Mother. Merry Christmas. How late you are, my dear. Oh, we had a deal of work to finish up last night, and we had to clear away this morning. Well, never mind so long as you're here now. Sit you down before the fire and have a warm. Lord (laughs) bless you. Where's Father? He's been to church with Tiny Tim. They'll be along directly. How is Tiny Tim, Mother. Any better at all? Sometimes I think he is. And sometimes I think, oh dear God, if anything should happen to Tiny Tim. Mother! You mustn't really even Christmas, think of such a thing. Here they are! Oh, tiny Tim. Oh, Merry Christmas, oh, everybody. Martha, 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 welcome, my dear. Merry Christmas, Father. And Tim <laughs> Tim. Merry Christmas, Martha. Oh, Tim, you darling. Oh, Father, I'm so glad to be home. And
4: we're so glad to have you,
6: Martha. And how did little Tim behave in church, Bob? Oh, as good as gold and better.
4: Oh, I like church, Mother. Oh, they sang the nicest songs. I hope people saw me there. Saw you there? And why, Tim? Well, don't you see? Because I'm lame. And if they saw my crutch, it might be pleasant for them to remember on Christmas who it was made lame beggars walk and blind men see. Oh, bless you, my son. Are we ready to eat, Mother? Come on, let's eat. Yes, children, we're all ready.
6: Come, come take your places now. And I'll wait your turn. There's plenty of stuffing and dressing and plum pudding for all of you. Martha, you take care of Tiny Tim and see that he eats plenty. He must get strong and well. Now, just sit down. Sit down, everyone. And
4: now, my dears, shall we say grace?
5: Spirit, Father, who tell me. If tiny Tim will live. I see a vacant seat in the poor chimney corner, and a crutch without an owner, carefully preserved. Oh, no, no. No, no, kind spirit. Say he'll be spared. Say he'll live. If these shadows remain unaltered by the future Ebenezer, the child
2: will die. Amen. And now, my dear,
6: with such a dinner, a toast. A
4: merry Christmas to us all, and God bless us.
9: God bless us, everyone.
4: And now to Mr. Scrooge. I'll give you a toast to Mr. Scrooge, the founder of the feast.
6: The founder of the feast, indeed, who pays you all a 15 shillings a week. I wish I had him here. I'd give him a piece of my mind to feast on, and I hope he'd have a good appetite for oh, it. Oh,
4: my dear, the children, Christmas
6: Day. It should be Christmas Day, I'm sure, on which one drinks the health of such an odious, stingy, unfeeling man as Mr. Scrooge. You know he is, Bob. Nobody knows it better than you, poor
4: fellow. My dear Christmas Day.
6: I'll drink his health for your sake and the day's, not for his. Long life to him. A Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. He'll be very merry and very happy, I have no doubt.
4: And I say God bless him too, Mother, and everyone.
2: Oh, God bless you, dear.
3: nothing of high mark in all this. They were not a handsome family, these Cratchits. They were not well dressed. Their shoes were far from being waterproof. Their clothes were scanty and had known very likely the insides of a pawnbroker's. But they were happy, grateful, pleased with one another and contented with the time. And when at last they faded, Scrooge had his eye upon them and especially on Tiny Tim until the last. Many calls Scrooge made that night with a ghost of Christmas present. Down among the miners they went to labor in the bowels of the earth and out to sea among the sailors at their watch, dark, ghostly figures in their several stations. Much they saw and far they went, and many places they visited but always with a happy end. The spirit stood beside sick beds and they were cheerful. On foreign lands and they were close at home. By poverty and it was rich. In almshouse, hospital and jail, where vain man in his little brief authority had not made fast the door and barred the spirit out, the spirit left his blessing. It was a long night, if it was only a night And it was strange, too, that while Scrooge remained unaltered in his outward form, the
5: ghost grew older. Clearly older. My life on this globe is very brief, Ebenezer. It ends tonight.
2: Tonight?
5: Tonight at midnight. Hark, the hour has come. Oh, no, no, not yet. Not yet. Uh, there are still more things I wish to learn. These you will learn from still another spirit. Still another spirit, Ebenezer.
3: Scrooge looked about him for the ghost it had vanished, and he found himself once more in his bed, in his dressing gown, and his nightcap on his head. He'd heard the clock strike, and then... he remembered the prediction of old Jacob Marley. And lifting up his eyes, beheld... The third spirit, a solemn phantom, shrouded in black, draped and hooded, coming towards him slowly and silently
5: like a mist along the ground. Ah, I know you. You are the ghost of Christmas yet to come. You'll show me the shadows of things that have not happened, but will happen in the time before us. Answer me, spirit, ghost of the future. I fear you more than any specter I've seen. Yet I know your purpose is to do me good, as I hope to live to be another man from what I was. Lead on, lead on, nights waning fast. Time's precious. Spirit. Why have you brought me here again? Here to Bob Cratchit's home? But it's not the same. Why is it so quiet? So very quiet here.
4: (laughs) Mother. Mother, please. Oh, my son. My little son, Tiny Tim. I loved him so. Oh, Mother dear, you mustn't. (laughs) It's almost time for Father to be home. Don't let him see you crying. Yes. Yes, Mother.
6: He's late tonight. He walks slower than he used to.
4: And yet I've known him to walk very fast indeed with Tiny Tim on his shoulders. So have I, Mother. But he was light to carry. And his father loved him so that it was no trouble. No trouble at all. Bob. Good evening, my dear. You're late, Bob. Yes, I'm sorry, my dear. I went to the churchyard today. I wish you could have gone with me. It would have done you hard good to see how sweet and green a place it is. But you'll see it often, I promised him. Yes, I promised Tiny Tim we'd walk there on a Sunday... Father, dear. It's God's will, Bob. I'm trying to understand it, my dear. My son. My little son, Tiny Tim. And I loved him so.
5: Oh, that's cruel.
4: Cruel.
2: Spirit.
5: Can't you give me one ray of hope that I may change all that? That Tiny Tim may live? For me to learn here. Who are those men? I don't know much about it. Either way, I only know he's dead. When did he die? Last night, I believe. It's likely to be a very cheap funeral for Palm Mill life. I don't know anybody to go to it. Suppose we make up a party and volunteer. I don't mind going if a lunch is provided. <laughs> you
2: know, come to
3: think
5: of it, I'll wager I was his best friend. What? We used to nod to each other when we met in the street. <laughs>
2: Spirit, tell me,
5: who is this man that died? Is there no one to mourn the poor creature? No one to follow him to the grave? Perhaps they'll give him a green grave, at least like poor tiny Tim. Perhaps...
9: Spirit,
5: where are we now? Merciful heaven, a churchyard, overrun by grass and choked with too much burying, desolate, lonely, crumbling gravestone. Spirit, before I draw nearer to that gravestone, answer me one question. Are, are these shadows of things that will be, or, or are they shadows of things that may be only? Huh? Will, will you not speak to me, spirit, what is that grave to which you point? Ah, <coughs> oh, <no, it's... laughs> There's writing on that stone. The name on the gravestone is...
2: Ebenezer Scrooge. Ebenezer Scrooge. <coughs> oh, no, no, no,
5: no, 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 no. Hear me. I'm not the man I was... Why show me this, if I'm past all hope? Tell me that I can change these dreadful shadows you've shown me by an altered life. I'll honor Christmas in my heart, and I'll try to keep it all the year. I'll live in the past, the present, and the future, and I'll not shut out the lessons that they teach. Tell me, Spity, oh, go on, tell me. Tell me that I can sponge away the writing on that stone,
10: Spirit.
2: I beg you, Spirit. I beg you. Spirit, I promise.
0: I
5: promise on my knees. I promise. I
2: promise. I'll. I. Let love and joy come. It's my own bed, Oh, I'm home. In my own bed. In my own room. And the sun. The sun's shining. It's clear. It's bright. No fog. What a beautiful day. Oh, glorious. Glorious. The boy. Oh, boy. Yes, sir? What?
5: What's today?
2: What's that, sir? Well, what day is it,
5: my fine fellow? Today? Why,
2: it's Christmas Day. Ha <laughs> ha, Christmas
5: Day! Then I haven't missed it. The spirits have done it all in one night. All in one night. Heaven be praised.
2: How's that,
5: sir? <laughs> listen, my lad. Uh, do you know where the poulterer is in the next street? I
2: should say I do. Ah!
5: Intelligent boy. A remarkable boy. Tell me, do you know if they sold the prize turkey that was hanging in the window?
2: The one as big as me.
5: (laughs) What a delightful boy. It's a pleasure to talk to you. Yes, my buck?
2: It's hanging there now, sir.
5: That's wonderful. (laughs) Go around, will you? And tell him to send it to Bob Cratchit and his family on Broad Street. And mind you... They're not to know who paid for it. Go along, hurry, hurry, my lad. Here, wait a minute. Here's half a crown for your trouble.
2: Yes, sir. Yes, sir, and a merry Christmas, sir.
5: (laughs) And a merry Christmas to you, my boy. Oh, I don't know what to do. I'm as light as a feather, as happy as an angel. I'm as merry as a schoolboy. Merry Christmas. (laughs) A merry Christmas to everybody. A happy new year to all the world! My dear sir, how do you do? I, I beg your pardon. Well, oh, you sir, aren't you the gentleman who came to my office in regard to that charity? Why, yes, sir. A merry Christmas to you. Uh, y- yes, sir. Allow me to ask your pardon, sir. And will you have the goodness to accept? I prefer to whisper this. But, but, Lord, bless me. My dear Mr. Scrooge, are you serious? If you please, now not a farthing less. A great many back payments are included in it, I assure you. <laughs> will you do me that favor? Oh, my dear sir, I don't know what to say to such munificence. Ah, oh, don't say anything, please. Come and see me. Will you, will you come and see me? I will, I will indeed. <laughs> thank you. I'm much obliged to you. I thank you 50 times. Bless you. Merry Christmas. <laughs>
3: next morning scrooge was early at his office he went early for a reason if he could only be there first and catch bob cratchit coming late that was the thing he'd set his heart upon and he did it yes he did the clock struck nine no bob a quarter past no bob scrooge sat with his door wide open that he might see him come in at last he came. His hat was off before he opened the door. His comforter, too. He's on his stool in the jiffy, driving away with his pen as if he were trying to overtake 9 o'clock. 8, and
4: 15, and 21, 6, and carry the 1 and 24, and carry the 2, and 31, and 8 and 9. Hello, Is you, a... Cratchit. Yes, sir.
5: Step this way, Cratchit, if you please. Cratchit, what do you mean by coming in at this time of day? Oh, I'm very sorry, sir. I am behind my time. You are. Yes, yes, I think you are.
4: Oh, it's only once a year, Mr. Scrooge. It shall
5: not be repeated. I was making rather merry yesterday, sir. I'll tell you what, my friend. I'll not stand this sort of thing any longer. And therefore, Bob Cratchit, I'm about to raise your salary.
4: Mr. Scrooge, are you quite yourself, sir?
5: No, no, thank heaven. I'm not quite myself. Merry Christmas, Bob. (laughs) Merry Christmas, my good fellow. A merrier Christmas than I've given you in many a year. I shall raise your salary, and we'll see what we can do for Tiny Tim and the rest of your family. Huh? Hey, we'll discuss it this very afternoon over a Christmas bowl of smoking bishop. Bob, make up fire. Make it up and, and, and buy another coal scuttle before you dart another eye, Bob Gratchett.
3: Scrooge was better than his word. He did it all and infinitely more. To Tiny Tim, who did not die, he was a second father. He became as good a friend, as good a master, and as good a man as the good old city knew or any other good old city, town, or borough in the good old world. Some people laughed to see the alteration in him, but he let them laugh, and little heeded them. His own heart laughed. That was quite enough for him.
1: I've just heard our annual presentation of Charles Dickens, A Christmas Carol, starring Lionel Barrymore, brought to you by the makers of Campbell's Soups. And now here is Orson Welles. Ladies and
3: gentlemen, at this point in the program, it's my custom, as you know, to present you with a few words of introduction, our guest of the evening. With your consent, I shall dispense with this tonight. To introduce tonight's guest to the Campbell Playhouse audience, or to any American audience, is an extravagant and superfluous procedure. For if ever an actor has won for himself a lasting place in the hearts of his fellow countrymen through years of unsparing and inspiring service. That actor is Lionel Barrymore. Mr. Lionel Barrymore.
5: Oh, thank you, Orson Welles. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Well, this is the fourth year I've had the pleasure of appearing in the Christmas Carol here on the Campbell Playhouse, and I assure you all it's a pleasure that never tires. As long as I can remember, this has been one of my favorite stories. When we were children, it was read to us regularly at this time of year, as it is to many millions of children right now. <laughs> and like many of them, I'm sure, the three of us, Ethel, Jack, and I, with the aid of a sheet and some old ironware, made a play of it. As I remember we had three Scrooges in that production. Uh, who played Tiny Tim? I think we had three tiny Tim's too. But seriously, I can think of no part that I've enjoyed playing again and again as much as I have the part of that squeezing, wrenching, grasping, scraping, clutching, coverless old sinner, Ebenezer Scrooge. And I can think of no happier or more suitable choice for the makers of Campbell's Soups to offer the people of America as their Christmas present each year than Charles Dickens' well-beloved story, A Christmas Carol. Good night, Orson. Good night, everybody. And a merry, merry Christmas to you all. Good night to you, Mr. Barrymore. Thank you, sir,
3: and a merry Christmas to you. Ladies and gentlemen, next Sunday night, we're happy to announce our version of a great and truly American story by a great American novelist. Come and get it by Edna Ferber. Against a background of the mighty forests of Miss Ferber's own Wisconsin, it tells a stirring tale of the men and women who live and die in the woods in order that lumber may come down the rivers every spring into the cities of the modern world. Like so many of Miss Ferber's epic romances of American life, it was made from a best-selling novel into a highly successful motion picture. Now we bring it to you on the air. The story of a man and his son and the girl they both loved, Lotta. Lotta, played for us by one of the loveliest and most accomplished of Hollywood's younger dramatic actresses, Miss Francis D. And so until next week, until come and get it, my sponsors, the makers of Campbell Soups, and all of us in the Campbell Playhouse remain as always obediently yours. But just one moment. Please, Benny, excuse me. Ladies and gentlemen, it's the night before Christmas. And all through the Campbell Playhouse, not a creature is stirring that doesn't join Lionel Barrymore in wishing you a Merry, Merry Christmas. This goes for all of us, from my sponsor. Myself, or for all of us, from Don McBain, who runs the machinery in the control room, to Miss Helgren, who types the Campbell Playhouse scripts, a merry Christmas. From Benny Herman and his band of merry melodians, merry Christmas. From Max Tare's uh, canary-throated chorister, a very merry Christmas. And from Harry Esman and Cliff Thorson and his crew of sound effect technicians, a Merry Christmas. And from Orson Welles and his considerable aggregation of dramatic talent, who include, among others, Mr. Everett Sloan, Mr. Frank Reddick, Mr. Erskine Sanford, Mr. George Kalouris, Mr. Ray Collins, Miss Georgia Backus, Miss B. Benaderet, and many, many others, a Merry Christmas. Far about it, everybody. A Merry Christmas.
2: Christmas. That's
3: right. And now, as Tiny Tim says,
2: God bless us, everyone.
1: The makers of Campbell's Soups join Orson Welles in inviting you to be with us in the Campbell Playhouse again next Sunday evening when we bring you Edna Ferber's Come and Get It with Miss Frances D. as our guest. Meanwhile, if you have enjoyed our fifth annual presentation of A Christmas Carol, won't you tell your grocer so this week when you order Campbell's Soups? This is Ernest Chappell saying thank you and a very Merry Christmas to you all.
11: Lux presents Hollywood. Lever Brothers Company, the makers of Lux Toilet Soap, bring you the Lux Radio Theater, starring James Stewart, Donna Reed, and Victor Moore in It's a Wonderful Life. Ladies and gentlemen, your producer, Mr. William Keeley.
8: Greetings from Hollywood, ladies and gentlemen. Tonight we bring you one of the season's most inspiring hits, a Liberty Films production that's been nominated for the highest screen award. Yes, it's a wonderful life. And we present it now with its original fine stars, Jimmy Stewart and Donna Reed. Jimmy, in the role which won him a nomination for the best performance of the year. Also in our cast is starred that fine comedian, Victor Moore. It's a Wonderful Life is the drama of a typical American. Might be you, it might be me. He dreams of glory, he lives in hope, he loves and doubts, uh, and only providence puts a final value on his service to humanity. Our story starts before the war, when life was normal. Shortages were generally unknown And simple luxuries like Lux soap were abundant I won't say that's the only reason people said It's a wonderful life But I do know from the thousands of letters in our files That most of them said It's a wonderful soap And they keep right on saying it day after day In fact, the popularity of Lux soap Is what makes it possible to present such entertainment As Frank Capra's great production It's a wonderful life Starring Jimmy Stewart as George, Donna Reed as Mary Hatch, and Victor Moore as Clarence. This is the story of George Bailey, citizen of Bedford Falls, New York. George Bailey, who more than anything under the sun, wanted to see the world. The wonderful, exciting world that lay somewhere beyond the limits of his hometown. Oddly enough, this story does not begin in Bedford Falls. In fact, it doesn't begin anywhere in the world. It begins in heaven, where the superintendent of angels has just summoned an apprentice angel named Clarence. Oh, I'm really
12: going down to earth, sir? Oh, how
8: splendid. Yes,
5: there's a very discouraged man down there, Clarence. George Bailey. At exactly 10.45 p.m., Earth time, he'll be thinking seriously of ending his life.
12: Oh, dear, dear, his life.
5: Now, I want you to stop him if you can. Now, sit down, sit down. I'll give you Bailey's case history.
12: Sir, if... If I should accomplish my mission, may I perhaps get my wings? I've been waiting over 200 years now, and, well... People are beginning to talk. Clarence, what's that book? The Adventures of Tom Sawyer, sir. I was reading it when you sent for me. Oh,
5: fine book. Excellent. Well, you do a good job on George Bailey, and we'll see about your wing.
12: Oh, thank you, sir.
5: Now, listen. When George Bailey was a boy, two events occurred that you should keep in mind. One was when his young brother, Harry, fell through the ice and almost drowned. George saved him.
12: Brother fell through the ice, George saved him.
5: Ever since, George had a bad ear. All that icy water, uh, you understand.
12: Yeah, bad ear, yes, sir. The
5: other event came a few months later. George used to work after school in Mr. Gower's drugstore. One day, Mr. Gower's only son died of influenza. It was a terrible blow, and poor Mr. Gower tried to lose his grief in whistling.
12: Where have you been, George? Mrs. Blaine's called twice.
5: What happened to her prescription? You lost it, didn't you? No, Mr. Gower. Here it is. Well, you're good for nothing. Don't you know that Blaine girl's very sick? Mr. Gower, my ear. You're hurting
6: my sore I'll ear.
12: Teach you to loaf, you lazy
6: brats. Mr. Gower, you don't know what you're doing. You put something wrong in those capsules. Shut up. Oh, I know you feel bad, but look, Mr. Gower, look. This bottle, you use this bottle to make up the capsules. It's poison. Don't hurt my again, Mr. Please. Gower.
10: Oh, George. That's why I didn't deliver, Mr. Gower.
6: All I wanted was to make sure... George, you.
5: George. Well, Clarence, that was George Bailey as a boy. When he grew up, he wanted to go to college, but there just wasn't the money. So he worked four years in the Building and Loan Association.
12: Building and Loan Association?
5: Oh, I forgot to tell you. George's father was in the building and loan business. He and George's uncle, Billy. High ideals and low bank account. Anyway, George worked for his father and saved enough to see him through the university. That summer, though, he was going to Europe. Got a job on a cattle boat. Do a little traveling before cut.
13: Boy, oh boy, oh boy, it's hard to realize it. My last night in the Bailey boarding house. We're sure
5: going to miss you, George.
13: Oh, I'm going to miss you too, Pop. Hey, what's the matter? You look tired.
5: Oh, I had another tussle with old Henry Potter today. Well, I
13: thought when you put him on the board of directors, he'd ease up.
5: Well, so did I.
13: I just can't understand a man like Mr. Potter. He can't
5: begin to spend all the money he I has. guess Potter owns about everything he wants in Bedford Falls except our building and loan. That's why he hates us.
13: Hey, George, can I borrow your tuxedo studs? Yeah, help yourself, Harry. Well, where are they in your suitcase? Uh, I'm not taking a tuxedo on a cattle boat you know hey, say where'd you get that suitcase anyway oh mr gower going away present and one of these days you're gonna see that bag all covered with travel labels italy and baghdad samarcan could have a pretty full summer eh? i'm gonna have a pretty full life hey why don't you come to the
5: dance tonight
13: why I'd be bored to death.
12: well you couldn't want a better death lots of pretty girls hey
13: i gotta hurry
5: i wish we could send harry to college with you George. oh
13: we've got that all figured out now pop He'll take over my job at the building and loan and work four years like I did, and then he'll go.
5: Oh, he's pretty young for that job. Well, no younger than I was. <laughs> Maybe you were born older, George. Huh? George, when you get out of college, I don't suppose you'd come back to the building and loan. Oh, oh no, Pop, I I, I... I just
13: couldn't. I, I couldn't face being cooped up the rest of my life in a shabby little office. I... I oh, I, I'm sorry, Pop. Now, I... I didn't mean that, but it's just this business of nickels and dimes. I'd go crazy. I I want to do something big, something important.
5: In a small way, we are doing something important, George. In that shabby little office, we help people figure out how they can own their own homes. I know,
13: I know, Pop. I I just wish I felt that I... I, I, But I I just feel like if I didn't get away, I'd bust.
5: (laughs) You're right, boy. You get yourself an education, then get out of here. Oh, Pop, you...
13: Pop, you want a shock? I think you're a pretty great guy.
5: Well, thanks, George. I'm glad to hear it. Look, um, why don't you go on
8: over to Harry's dance? You'd have a good time. Well, I don't know. Maybe it will drop in.
12: Yeah, maybe well at that. So, George Bailey went to a dance. Is that important, Joseph? Why, well, it
3: was
5: at the dance he met Mary Hatch. Oh. And three hours later, he was walking her home. George and Mary were feeling pretty good, Clarence. As a matter of fact,
14: wonderful. Buffalo girl, can't you come out tonight? Can't you come out tonight? Can't you come out tonight? Buffalo girl, can't
13: you come out tonight? And dance by the light of the moon. Well, a hot dog! Oh boy, Beautiful. just like an organ.
10: At
14: Gee, least, boy,
13: <laughs> hey, you know, you know something? If it wasn't me talking, I'd say you were the prettiest girl in town.
14: Well, why don't you say
13: it? I don't know. Maybe I will. How old are you, anyway?
14: Eighteen. Eighteen? Too young or too old?
13: No, no, no. It's just right. It sort of fits you. Hey, hey, look where we are.
14: Hmm? Oh, the old Granville house. Yeah,
13: I got to throw a rock.
14: Oh, no, Jonah. I love that old house.
13: Well, no. Don't you know about deserted houses? You you make a wish and then throw a rock.
14: George, but it was such a lovely old place. I wish I lived there.
13: In there? I wouldn't live in it as a ghost. Now, watch. What's this? Here we go. How about it, huh? Pretty good shot, huh? Broke a window, huh?
14: (laughs) What'd you wish, George?
13: Oh, I don't know. Not just one wish, a whole hatful. Mary, I'm shaking the dust of this crummy little town off my feet, and I'm going to see the world Italy, Greece, the Parthenon, the Colosseum. And then I'm coming back here and go to college and see what they know. And then I'm going to build things. I'm going to build airfields and skyscrapers a hundred stories high and bridges a mile long. And then I'm going gonna... to...
2: Hey. Hey,
13: Mary. What is it you want? What do you want, huh? You want the moon? All you got to do is just say the word now. Okay.
14: The moon. I'll take it. Then what?
13: Then what? Well, well then you could swallow it. And, and it would dissolve like an aspirin, you know and the moonbeams that shoot out of your fingers and the ends of your hair, and the, the, uh... You you think I'm talking too much?
12: Yes, why don't you kiss her instead of talking her to her? How's that? Uh, youth is wasted on the wrong people. Why?
13: Well, hey, just a minute, mister. Hey, you come back here. I'll show you some kissing hey, if George. you want it. George! Hey, Uncle Billy, look here. I'm going to kiss Mary. Watch. George, get in the car quick. Your father's had a stroke.
5: What? What? George, had... get in, hurry. <laughs> Well, George's father died that night, Clarence. So, of course, George couldn't go to Europe. But that fall, just as he was ready to leave for college, the directors of the building and loan had a meeting. They were going to appoint a successor to Mr.
11: What was that you said, Mr. Potter?
5: I said as long as Peter Bailey's dead, let's dissolve the building and loan. We don't need it.
11: Now, wait a minute. Oh,
5: you wait a minute. Peter Bailey was not a businessman. Ideals without common sense can ruin a town. What do we get? A discontented lazy rabble instead of a thrifty working class.
13: Hold on, Mr. Potter. Oh, I meant no
5: disrespect, George, but. Oh, wait a
13: minute there. Why my father ever started this cheap penny annie building alone, I'll never know. But just remember this, Mr. Potter. This rabble you're talking about. They do most of the working and the paying and living and dying in this community. Well, is it too much to have them work and pay and live and die in a couple of decent rooms and a bath? Anyway, my father didn't think so. People were human beings to him but to you, a warped, frustrated old man, they're cattle. Well, in my book, Mr. Potter, he died a much richer man than you'll ever be. I'm not interested in your book, George. I'm talking about the building and loan. You're talking about something you can't get your fingers on that's galling. That's what you're talking about. Well, this town needs this measly one-horse institution if only to have some place where people can borrow a few dollars without crawling to you. Now, come on, Uncle right, Billy. Come George? Yeah, all we heard was a lot of yelling. Boy, oh, boy, you should have heard, George. Yeah, they're in there voting us out of business.
14: Oh, well, who cares? I can get another job. I'm only 41.
5: 45. Well, you get out of here, George. You missed your boat trip. Do you want to miss college, too? <laughs>
13: George, we've just voted Potter down. We're still in business. Whoopee! We're still in
10: business! We're still in business! But there's one
13: condition, George. They've appointed you to take your father's place. Appoint me? But I'm going to college. Look, this is my last chance. Uncle Billy's your man. Uh, George, you've got to take it. They'll vote with Potter otherwise.
10: They said so. They even said...
12: I know. George Bailey didn't go to college.
5: That's right, Terrence. He gave his, his college money to Harry. Harry went and stayed.
12: But what happened to that good-looking girl,
5: you know, Mary? Oh, George saw her now and then. Not very often, though, because Mary went away to school, too. Anyway, George waited four years more for Harry to come back and take over the building and loan. He could still see the world. He planned to work in the oil fields, Venezuela. Except when Harry came home, he wasn't alone. There was a girl with him, his wife.
6: George?
13: Yeah, I'm out here on the porch, Mother. I just thought I'd get some air.
6: Well, how how do you like your new sister-in-law?
13: Oh, she's swell.
6: Looks like she can keep Harry on his toes. Yeah,
13: yeah, and keep him out of Bedford Falls, anyway.
6: What do you mean?
13: Well, Ruth's father, she's he's got a wonderful job for Harry up in Buffalo.
6: Buffalo? Well, that means you...
13: Yeah. You can't... Yeah.
6: George, did you know Mary Hatch is back from school? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Nice girl, Mary. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Oh, stop grunting Give me
13: one good reason why you shouldn't call on Mary Well, Sam Wainwright, Sam's crazy about Mary Well, she's not crazy about him Well, now, how do you know that? Did she discuss it with you? you... Besides,
6: Sam's away in New York
13: Oh, and all's fair in love and war Uh I see Okay, Mother, I think I'll go out and find that girl And do a little passionate necking Oh, George (laughs) Goodbye, Miss Bailey by the way, do you want any books at the
6: library? Library? George! George, you go and see Mary. Do you hear?
14: George, is that you out there?
13: Oh, oh, hello, Mary.
14: Well, are you coming in?
13: I just happened to be passing by here.
14: Oh, I thought you were picketing. Have you made up your mind? How's that? Have you made up your mind? About what? About coming in. Your mother just phoned. She said you were coming over.
13: My mother just phoned? What did she mean? Called I just happened to be passing by. That's all. I didn't... Well? Well, right, I'll come in for a minute. But I, I didn't tell anybody I was coming here. You thought I can't go out for a walk nowadays without you. When did you, you get back? Tuesday. Mm. When would you get that dress?
14: Do you like
13: it? It's all right.
14: Well, no point standing here on the porch Come on in
13: I, I still can't understand it I didn't tell anybody I was coming here, yeah Would you
14: rather leave? Well,
13: no, I don't want to be rude I Sit down for a while
14: It's nice about your brother and Ruth, isn't it?
13: Yeah, 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 that's all right
14: Don't you like her? Well,
13: of course I like her She's a peach
14: Oh, just marriage in general You're not enthusiastic about, hmm?
13: No, no Marriage is all right for a lot of people It's all right for Harry And... Sam Wainwright. And you.
14: For Sam. Mary? It's George Bailey, Mother. What's he want? I don't know. What do you want?
13: Me? <laughs> I, not a thing. Not a thing. I, I just came in to get warm.
14: He's making violent love to me, Mother. You just tell him to go right back home. Sam said he'd call you tonight from New York, didn't he? I guess so. How about some music? Sam?
13: Mary!
11: Gee, it's
14: good to hear your voice. How are you,
13: Sam? I forgot my hat.
14: Hee-haw. What? Oh, I, I was just talking to an old friend of yours, George Bailey.
13: Oh, Mossback
14: George? Old Mossback George.
13: Well, put him on. I'll talk to him, too. Wait a second. George! He doesn't want
14: to speak to George. He does so. He asked for him. Why'd you call
13: me? Because if you're... I,
14: I'm in a hurry. I got... Sam wants to talk
13: to you. Oh. Oh. Hiya, Hiya, Sam.
14: George
13: Now you listen to me, Mary I don't want any plastics And I don't want any job And I don't want to get married Ever to anyone Do you understand that?
10: I want to do what I want to do And, and you're not going to trick me And you're Mary George. Mary Oh,
13: Mary, darling I, I love you, Mary
12: So George, Bailey and Mary Hatch were Yes,
5: George and Mary were married. Mm. And they started off on their honeymoon in Ernie Bishop's taxicab. Hey, where are you two going on this here now honeymoon? We're going to shoot the works, Ernie.
13: A whole week in New York, a whole week in Bermuda, the highest hotel, the oldest champagne, the hottest music, and the prettiest wave. <laughs> so you're finally getting out of Bedford Falls, huh? Then what? Then what, honey?
15: After that, who cares? That
13: does it. Hey, you know, Mrs. Bailey, I haven't kissed you. Hey, sure. So there's something funny going on over there. Look, look over there at the bank. It looks huh? like run. All right, pull over a minute, will you, Ernie?
14: George, let's not stop. Please, let's
13: go straight to the show. No, wait a station. minute. Well, uh, I'd better see what it is. I'll be right back.
14: George, please.
8: George! In a few moments, we'll return with the second act of It's a Wonderful Life, starring James Stewart, Donna Reed, and Victor Moore. Meanwhile, here's our Hollywood reporter, Libby Collins. Looking very smart to me, I say.
9: Well, thank you, Mr. Keeley. You know, after seeing Paulette Goddard's wardrobe for Paramount's new comedy, Suddenly at Spring, I just had to rush out and buy something new. Looking at all those lovely clothes was just too much for my self-control.
8: Well, you look stunning, Libby.
9: Oh, thank you again, Mr. Keeley. Now,
8: tell me about the picture. I understand that Paulette's portrayal of an ex whack is truly delightful.
9: Oh, yes, it is and Fred McMurray gives a perfect characterization of her wayward husband. Between the two of them, suddenly it spring is a high-spirited comedy with emphasis on the romantic side.
8: Well, naturally.
9: <laughs> but really, Mr. Keeley, that wardrobe of Miss Goddard certainly will make clothes-conscious girls sit up and take notice. I'll bet you think so, too, Mr. Kennedy.
11: Well, Libby, men seldom know much about styles. Well, what I notice about a dress is the general effect when a woman wears it. Some girls always seem to have that right-on-the-beam look. You know what I mean.
9: (laughs) Well, I think what you have in mind, Mr. Kennedy, is good grooming. Screen stars certainly put great emphasis on it. A perfect hairdo, fresh, beautifully cared for skin. Those are essentials.
11: That must be the reason Lux Toilet Soap continues to be a studio standby, no matter how often other styles change.
9: Well, that's what Miss Goddard told me. She says her beauty facials are so quick and easy and work so well. She's never without a supply of Lux Toilet Soap. I can depend on it for daily complexion care, she said.
11: I wish you'd tell the ladies in our audience how easy these Lux soap facials are, Libby.
9: Well, here's what Paulette Goddard does. She says, I cover my face with a fragrant Lux soap lather and work it well in. I rinse with warm water, then cold, and use a soft towel to pat my skin dry. Give skin quick new beauty, she says.
11: Daily Lux soap facials do make skin lovelier. Recent tests by skin specialists proved it. In in three out of four cases, complexions became softer and smoother in, in just a short time.
9: A lovely Luxe complexion makes a woman so attractive. I wish every girl who hasn't tried Luxe Toilet Soap would begin using it tomorrow.
11: That sounds advice, Libby. When nine out of ten screen stars recommend a beauty soap, you know it has to be good. So why not try Luxe Toilet Soap? Hollywood's own complexion soap. We pause now for station identification. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System.
8: Act Two of It's a Wonderful Life, starring Jimmy Stewart as George, Donna Reed as Mary, and Victor Moore as Clarence. Well, we're back in heaven again, where the superintendent of angels is reviewing the case history of a mortal named George Bailey. Clarence, the apprentice angel, is very eager to depart on his mission to the earth.
12: Poor George Bailey... Oh, he's certainly in desperate trouble, Joseph. I'll go to him at once.
5: Now, you sit down, Clarence. Sit down. We're nowhere near the point where George Bailey's thinking of taking his life.
12: We're not?
5: Now, uh, where were we? Uh, oh, yes, yes. George and Mary had just started out on their honeymoon when they ran smack into the financial panic of 1932. In the waiting room of the building and loan, a hundred frantic people were clamoring for their savings. Hey, what's going on, Uncle Billy? What's happened? All those people out there. This is a pickle, George. All I know is the bank called our loan an hour ago. I had to hand over all our cash. Holy mackerel. whole town's gone crazy. Bank's in the same spot we are.
13: Our charter, too. What about our charter? Our charter says we have to stay open until 6 p.m. The state can take away our license if we don't. How can we stay open till 6 without any money? George, where are you going? i have to talk to those people. Come on. Now, uh, please. Uh, please, folks. Now, uh, just a minute. You'll get your money in 60 days. 60 days? Well, now, look, that's what you, that's what you agreed on when you bought your
11: shares. I got my money! Well, old man Potter's taking over the bank. He'll pay you 50 cents on every dollar. Then let's take our shares to Potter. Half is better than nothing. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. Please,
13: folks, I beg of you not to do this. If Potter gets hold of your shares, you will be owning this building and loan and... He's got the bank, he's got the bus line, he's got the department stores, and now he's after us because he wants to keep you living in his shacks and paying the kind of rent he decides to charge. Now, we can get through this thing, all right, but we've got to stick together. We've got to have faith in each other. My husband's out of work. We need money. I've got
5: Dr. Bills to
14: pay. I can't feed my kids on faith. How much do you need? We've still got some money. Hey, Mary. Here it is, George. You told me to hold on to it. we have made a nice honeymoon. we bought furniture, too.
13: Hey, now, wait a minute, folks. Listen. I've got $2,000. All right, Charlie, how much do you need? $240 323 Sycamore. Well, whose home is that? What? Well, Mary, how can I... Well, sure, all right, sure, I'll I'll be there.
5: Clarence, guess what 323 Sycamore was?
12: His mother-in-law's house, huh? Oh, no. Number
5: 323 Sycamore was the old Granville house, the one George threw rocks at and made wishes. Yes, sir, that's where they spent their honeymoon. That's where they started housekeeping. They were still living there two years later when old man Potter asked George to stop over at his office. Sit down, George. Sit down, do. Uh, have a cigar? Well, wow. thank you, sir. Uh, George, you're a young man, married, making, say, $40 a week at the building and loan. $45. Uh, 45 Now, if you were some ordinary yokel, I'd say you were doing fine. But George Bailey is intelligent, ambitious. He hates the building and loan almost as much as I do. He's been dying to get out of town ever since he was born, but he's trapped. Trapped into frittering his life away, playing nursemaid to a lot of garlic eaters. Do I paint a correct picture, George, or do I exaggerate?
13: Well, what's your point, Mr. Potter?
5: My point is that you're the only man in town who has licked me. George, I want to hire you. Manage my affairs. I'll start you off at $20,000 a year.
13: $20,000 a year? Hey, are you sure you're talking to me? I'm George Bailey. Don't you remember me? The building and loan, remember?
5: Yes, George Bailey, whose ship has just come in, providing he has sense enough to climb aboard. Well, but, but what about the building and loan? Confounded, man, I'm offering you a three-year contract at $20,000 a year. Is it a deal or isn't it? No, no, the
13: answer's no, dog. gun it. If you offered me a million dollars to stay around this town and play stooge to you, the answer would still be no. Now, let me alone. Don't bother me. <laughs>
14: George, what did Mr. Potter want?
13: Oh, it was nothing. He just talked, talked. I don't know. It was nothing. Oh, gee. Mary Hatch. Mary, why in the world did you ever marry a guy like me, anyway?
15: <laughs> to keep from being an old maid.
13: I was going to see the world, I was going to build things, I was going to give you the moon. Mary, you mean you're on the nest?
1: Well,
5: Mary had a baby, Terrence. A boy. You
12: don't say.
5: Then she had another one. A girl.
12: Well, what do you know?
5: Night after night, George had come home late from the office. Things weren't good with the building alone. Potter was really bearing down on him. Then came The war.
13: Hey, uh, Telly, get the books from Mister Carter. Will you? you know that's my brother's picture there, Mister Carter. He shot down fifteen planes, and one of them was just
5: about. Well, well, Mister Henry F. Potter, come to the bank to deposit some more loot, eh? Sure, you old fool. How do you like the news in the paper, Mister Potter? Just can't keep those Bailey boys down now, can you? Oh, let me see that newspaper. Here, sorry I can't chat, you old thief. Got to make a deposit. Uh, here you are, Horace. Deposit slip, bank book, and a
8: very merry Christmas to you. You
5: too, Mister Bailey.
13: I can't think anymore.
12: I, I can't. Now where's
13: that money, you silly old fool? You know what this means? It means bankruptcy and scandal and prison. One of us is going to jail. Well, it's not going to be me. Now get out of my way. I'm going home.
14: George, dear, what's wrong? You haven't said a word since you came home. Oh, uh,
13: well, that banging on that piano, does she have to just keep playing that same piece over and over and over and over again? I
14: is it, dear? Another hectic day.
13: Yeah. Yeah, another red-letter day for the baby.
14: Dad, band. Murphy's got a brand-new car. You should see it. What's
13: the matter with our car? Isn't it good enough for you?
14: I'm sorry, Dad. I only... Run upstairs, Petey. See if Zuzu's all right. Okay, Mom.
13: Now what do you mean? What See if Zuzu's all right. What do you mean?
14: Oh, she caught a little cold coming home from school. She didn't button up her coat. Well,
13: what is it? What is? What do you mean, just a cold?
14: Hey, George, the doctor said it was nothing serious. The doctor?
13: Was the doctor here?
14: Well, I thought he'd better look at her. It's
13: this old drafty house. It's no wonder we don't all have pneumonia. We might as well be living in a refrigerator. Why do we have to live here in the first place and stay around this measly, crummy old town?
14: George, what's happened?
13: Everything's happened. You call this a happy family? Why do we have to have all these kids?
14: Daddy, how do you spell Frankenstein? I don't know how
13: you spell you Ask your mother. Where are you going? Upstairs to see Zuzu.
14: Hello. Oh, thank you, Mrs. Welch. I'm sure she'll be all right. Who's that? Uh, Zuzu, school teacher. What? Oh, yes. The doctor says she'll be fine tomorrow. Here,
13: give me that phone.
14: George, please.
13: Mrs. Welsh? Well, this is Mr. Bailey. Say, what kind of a teacher are you, anyway? What do you mean, sending Zuzu home like that, half-naked? Do you realize you'll probably end up with pneumonia just because of your stupidity? You know, maybe my kids aren't the best-dressed kids in town, but at least... Hello? Hello? Ah! Janie, will you stop playing that lousy piano? I'll cut it. I'll stop it.
14: George, for heaven's sake, what's wrong with you?
13: I'm sorry, I'm... Janie, I'm sorry, Mary. I've just got to get out of here.
5: That's it, George. You're short $8,000 in your account, Sam. Oh, please,
13: Mr. Potter, I'll, I'll pay any sort of a bonus. If you still want the building and loan, I... You say it I'll was let...
5: lost. Have you notified the police?
13: No, sir, I haven't done that yet. Harry's home... Why oh, come, I come to me?
5: What about your good friend,
13: Sam Wainwright? I can't get a hold of him. He's in Europe.
5: What kind of security would I have, George? What collateral?
13: Yes, sir, I have some life insurance here. $15,000 policy.
5: Hmm. What's your equity in it?
13: $500.
5: And you want 8000 You once called me a warped, frustrated old man. Well, what are you but a warped, frustrated young man crawling on your hands and knees for help? Why don't you go to the riffraff you love so well? Ask them for help.
13: I'll do anything, Mr. Potter, please. Please help me, Miss... My wife and kids... I'm
5: calling the district attorney. $500. You know something, George? You're worth more dead than you are alive. Now get out of here. Get out! (laughs) Get out! all the time, Potter had the $8,000 in his desk drawer. It's still there, Clarence.
12: But where's George, sir? Where?
5: Well, he went over to Martini's Cafe. He's had a couple of drinks, Clarence. He's just standing there, sort of in a day. Oh, God.
2: Oh, God, dear Father in Heaven, I'm
13: not a praying man, but if, if you're up there... And, and you can hear me. Please show me the way. I'm at the end of my rope. I... Show me the way to God.
12: Mr.
5: Bailey, you all right? Don't drink any more, Mr. Bailey. Please, you don't feel good. Bailey. Did you say Bailey? Which Bailey? This gentleman is Mr. Bailey. George Bailey. George Bailey,
8: huh? And the next time you talk to my wife like that, she'll get worse. It isn't enough. She slaves teaching your stupid kids how to read and write. You've got to ball you up. You get out
5: of here, Mr. Welch. You hit my best friend. Get out All
8: it. right, um. All
5: right. Mr. Bailey, you you okay? Who's that? Mr. Welch, but don't worry. He don't come in this place no more. I'll get something for your face. It's bleeding. I'm all right. But please don't go Let away, Mr. Alone. Bailey.
10: Please
5: don't me go me away. Well, George left Martini's cafe five minutes ago, Clarence. He's at the river now, on the bridge, looking at the water. Are you ready, Clarence? All
12: ready, sir.
5: Very well. Save George Bailey's life, and you'll get your wings.
12: My wings. Oh, thank you, Joseph. George! George Bailey! Get away from that bridge! Do you hear me? George! George! George!
8: In just a moment, we'll bring you act three of It's a Wonderful Life, starring Jimmy Stewart, Donna Reed, and Victor Moore. The popular theory about beautiful blondes is that they're content to be merely decorative. Our lovely guest tonight, Miss Susan Blanchard, completely disproves that idea. Besides being a hard-working fox starlet, Susan, I understand you're a wonderful cook.
15: I really love housekeeping, Mr. Keeley. But most of all, I enjoy the training I get at the studio. It's work but it's fun, too.
8: You're an Easterner, aren't you, Susan?
15: Yes, a native New Yorker. Mm, I thought so. It was the Broadway theater that inspired me to think of show business as a career. Well, that's interesting. I used to save my allowance and go to every play I could. One of my favorite actresses was Jane Wyatt. Uh-huh. Imagine, Mr. Keeley, what a thrill it was for me to meet her right here in Hollywood.
8: Jane Wyatt's latest picture, Boomerang, was made in the East, I understand.
15: Mm-hmm, Yes. But she and Dana Andrews, who stars in Boomerang with her, were in Hollywood to see a studio showing of the picture. Oh, I see. Jane Wyatt is my ideal of a stage and screen star. So talented and so lovely to look at. Just as lovely in real life, too. She is indeed. It wasn't long before I discovered that she's as keen about Lux toilet soap for beauty care as I am. You know, I'm a Lux girl, too.
11: We're glad to hear you say that, Miss Blanchard, because that's a very beautiful Lux complexion I see before me. Just right for blue eyes and ash blonde hair.
15: Thank you, Mr. Kennedy. Any girl in pictures is delighted to find out about Lux Toilet Soap as a beauty care. Active lather facials are so quick and easy, and they really make a difference in your skin.
11: Thousands of busy, attractive women have discovered that, Miss Blanchard. Daily Lux Soap Complexion Care does make skin lovelier. Otherwise, it wouldn't be the choice of nine out of ten screen stars.
15: Lux Toilet Soap is all around beauty care for me. I use it as a bath soap, too. It has such delightful perfume, leaves a lovely fragrance on the skin.
11: Thank you, Miss Susan Blanchard. I hope our audience will be seeing that lovely luxe complexion of yours in a screen close-up one of these days. Now, back to our producer, William Keeley.
8: Act three of It's a Wonderful Life, starring Jimmy Stewart, Donna Reed, and Victor Moore. George and Clarence are drying off.
12: You both sure you're all right? You you want a doctor? No, I'm all right. right. Oh, I'm fine. This underwear, I didn't have time to get anything more stylish. My wife gave me this on my last birthday. I passed away in it. You You what, mister? Mm. I see Tom Sawyer is drying out, too. Who? My book.
5: Very your
12: funny. your lips bleeding.
13: Yeah, yeah, I got a bust in the jaw in answer to a prayer.
12: <laughs> oh no, George, I'm the answer to your prayer. Hey, how do you know my name? Oh, I know all about you. Well, who are you supposed to be anyway? Clarence Oddbody,
13: A S two. Clarence Oddbody. What, what's, that, what's the What's the A S two
12: for? Angel second class. <laughs> hey. I'm getting out of here. You may not need a doctor, but I do. Here you are, my good man. Hey, look here. Why why do you want to save me? Because I'm your guardian angel, George. Oh, I see.
13: Uh-huh. Well, you look like about the kind of an angel I'd get.
12: What, <laughs> what, uh, what happened to your wings? But, well, I haven't won my wings yet. That's why I'm an angel, second class. Oh, I see. But you can help me earn them, George, by... Letting me help you. Oh, uh, don't happen to have 8,000 bucks on you, do you? Oh, no, no, we, we don't use money in heaven. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I keep forgetting. Oh, I see.
13: Comes in pretty handy down here, bub. <laughs> okay. Oh, cat, cat, cat. Of course, I found it out a little late. You know, I'm worth more dead than alive.
12: You mustn't talk like that. Joseph will never give me my wings if you keep feeling that way. You just don't realize what you've done for your folks. Well, if it hadn't been for you... Yes, if it hadn't been time. for
13: me, everybody would be better off. My wife and my kids and my friends.
12: Oh, this is not going to be easy. I'd all be
13: better off if I hadn't been born. What did you say? I said I wish I'd never been born.
12: George, that's wonderful. It's wonderful? What? The idea you just gave me. Well, you've got your wish. You've never been born. I've never been born? Exactly. No worries, no $8,000 to get, nothing. You simply don't exist. All right, all right, okay, all right. George, I can do things, strange things. I can show you the world, George, the way it would be if you hadn't been born. Hey, wait, hey, wait a minute, this ear of
13: mine. Hey, say something else in that bad ear.
12: You don't have a bad ear anymore. Oh, I don't think you're concentrating. Oh. Don't you see? You're not the George Bailey you think you are. You're well... Uh, you're nobody.
13: Oh, that's the doggonest thing I ever saw, that that ear. Your lips
12: stopped bleeding, too.
13: Yeah. Yeah, hey, hey, what's what's happening around here? What is this, anyway? I need a drink. That's what I need. What, what about you, Angel? You want a drink? Well, I, I don't quite know. Come on, I... come on. We'll go as soon as our clothes are dry. The clothes are dry, George. Hey, that's, so they are. That's funny. Well, look... Let's get dressed and we'll stroll over to Martinis and then. Uh, oh, excuse me. I mean, I'll stroll. You fly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh no, I don't have. My you don't wings. have your wings, yeah. Oh, that's right. right. I forgot that I can. A couple of drinks and we'll both fly, huh? What'll you have, fellas? Hey, where's the boss? Where's Martini? Look, wise guy, I'm the boss, see? Okay, well, double scotch, quick, will you? What's yours?
12: You know what I just love? Some mulled wine. Huh? Heavy on the cinnamon and light on the cloves. Off with you, my lad, and lively now. Now, cut it out! Oh,
13: come on here, just give him the same as I ordered. He's okay. Uh, Two double scotch.
12: Well, what about this place? It's all changed. All of Bedford Falls has changed. You're having your wish, George. You've never been born. Oh, there'll be lots of things you've never seen before. Oh, good. Somebody just made it. Made what? Every time a bell rings, it means some angel's got his wings. What'd you say? I... Look, uh, Clarence, I don't think you better talk about angels around here. Yeah. Don't they believe in angels? Oh, yeah, they believe in them, but, you know, it's just a yeah, little then thing. Then why should you're... people be surprised when they see one? Uh, don't mind him, bartender.
13: He's just a little fellow. He just never grew up. Man. How old are you anyway, Clarence? Well,
12: next May, I'll be 293.
13: <laughs> that does it. A couple of pixies, huh? Go on, get you. Hear me, get hey, Where's Martini, will you Stop tell me? asking about Martini. You ain't ain't and he... Hey, yo, Rummy, didn't I tell you never to come panhandling around here? George, look. Hey, it's Mr. Gower. Mr. Gower. Listen, Mr. Gower, don't you know me? This is George Bailey.
12: You, you buy me a drink, mister? Just one drink, will
13: you, mister? Pinky! Yeah, Nick? Throw the rummy out. Oh,
12: no, no, please. Hey, don't... bartender,
13: that's, that's Mr. Gower, the druggist.
5: That rum head spent 20 years in jail for poisoning some kid.
13: If you knew him, you must be a jailbird yourself. Pinky, here's two more. Get him out of here.
12: Get up, George. Good thing he threw us in a snowbank, huh? Where's where's Mr. Gower? Mr. Gower doesn't know you, George. You see, you weren't there to stop him from putting poison into that prescription. What do you mean I wasn't there? Look...
13: Come on, step on it, will you, Ernie? Get me home. I'm off my nut. Where do you live, buddy? Oh, now, doggone it, Ernie. Don't you start pulling that stuff on me. 323 Sycamore. 323 Sycamore. Yeah, hurry. I'll put a Zuzu's sick. Okay, buddy. Hey, look, Ernie. I, I don't know what's happening. I'm going crazy or something. I got some bad liquor. I, now, look. Tell me this now. You're Ernie Bishop, right? And you live with your wife and kid down you on... seen my wife? What do you mean? I've seen your wife. I've been in your house a hundred times. What you, We, we built it for you, didn't we? Bud, my wife took the kid and ran away five years ago, and I ain't never seen you before in my life, see? Okay, Ernie. Okay. Okay. Just step on it. Get me home. Mary! Mary, where are you? Janie, Petey, Zuzu. Zuzu, where are you?
12: This is just an old abandoned house, George. You have no wife. Joseph! Where'd they go, honey? Where'd they go? I, I, I don't know. They just
2: disappeared!
12: Clarence. Oh, Joseph, I hope you don't mind my calling on you like I did.
5: It was very irregular, Terrence. You're by yourself again. Where's George?
12: He's at his mother's house, sir. Well,
5: if George hasn't been born, he has no mother.
12: Oh, he's being very stubborn, sir. He'll just have to find these things out for himself. But
5: his mother, that's a terribly bitter blow to a man, his old mother not knowing him.
12: You mean I shouldn't have let him... I mean you
5: better find him right away. Oh, and stop fighting policemen, Clarence.
12: I'm here again, George.
13: My mother, my own mother didn't know me. If only Harry were here. My brother were only
12: back from Washington. Your brother fell through the ice and was drowned at the age of nine.
13: Well, that's a lie. He got the Congressional Medal of Honor. He saved the lives of every man on that transport.
12: Every man on that transport died. Strange, isn't it? Each man's life touches so many other lives. Harry wasn't there to save them because you weren't there to save Harry. Don't you see, George, you really had a wonderful life. Don't you see what a mistake it would be to throw it away? Clarence? Yes? Where's Mary? Please, where's my wife? I, uh, I'm not supposed to tell. Tell me where she is. You're not going to like it, George. Where is she? I'll choke it out of you if I have to. Where's my wife? The library. She works there. She's just about to lock up for the night. So I, uh... George! George! Come back! Oh, there must be some easier way for me to get my way. Mary. Mary.
14: I'm sorry, the library's closed. Mary,
13: it's George. Don't you know me?
14: No, I don't know you. Let me go. Mary,
13: please, don't do this to me, Mary. Please, help me. Help me. Where, where are our kids, Mary? I need you, Mary. Oh, get please. away from me. Help, help. Help, me. help. me. Mary. I'm George. Mary. Mary. <coughs>
12: Oh, where is he, Joseph? Where's George? I'm afraid I've lost him, sir. You knew you shouldn't have let him try to see Mary.
5: Now they're after him, a mob. They think he was trying to hurt her.
12: Joseph, I won't even get one wing, will I? You
5: have one more chance, Terrence.
12: Get over to the bridge by the
5: river. I think George has seen just about enough. But the the mob... Don't worry. They've lost him, too. Now hurry up. Oh,
12: thank you, Joseph. Thank you. Clarence. Clarence!
10: Clarence, where are you?
12: I'm here, George. Help
13: me, Clarence. Get me back. I don't care what happens to me. Only get me back to my wife and kids, please. I want to live again.
12: Oh, thank you, George. Thank you, boy. I want to live again, please.
13: Oh, God, please let
12: me live again.
13: George? Is that you down there, George? Now get out of here, Bert? Get out of here. You come in any closer. I'll, I'll let you have it. What the
12: hell are you yelling for, George?
13: Come
12: on. George. George, Bert. Bert, do you know me? No, yeah. I've been looking all over town for you. Where have you
13: been? Hey, Bert. Bert. I'm alive again, Bert. You sure you're all right? Hey, your mouth's bleeding. It is. Hey, my mouth's bleeding. Bert, look at look at the blood come out of there. What you. Oh. Huh? Where's Zuzu's Christmas bell, Bert? I had it right in my pocket. Here it is. Hey, it's in my pocket. What do you know about? Hey, Merry Christmas, Bert.
5: Well, m- Merry Christmas. Get in the car. Or
12: I'll drive you home. You
13: will, Bert. We'll do that. I turn the siren wide open, huh? Merry Christmas, Bedford Falls. Hey, Merry Christmas, old building alone. Merry Christmas, Mister Potter. Yippee! Come on. Hey, Bert. Come on. Come on in with me, huh? What, what these people? These reporters? Hey, oh, 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 Merry Christmas, reporters! Hey, Mr. Bank Examiner, Merry Mr. Christmas! Mr. Bailey,
5: there's a deficit.
13: I know, eight thousand dollars, I bet, huh?
5: George, I've, I've got a little paper here. I'm
13: oh, sorry. I, I bet it's a warrant for my arrest. Isn't that wonderful? Merry Christmas! Hey, where's Mary? You know? Uh, look at this wonderful old drafty hollow shouldn't it wonderful? Have you seen my wife? Where's Mary? Daddy, Mary! Daddy, Mary, Daddy,
10: Mary! Christmas. Kid, Christmas.
13: Hey, Kid Christmas. Janie, Petey! Hey, oh, I could eat you up. Where's your mother? She went looking for you, Daddy, with Uncle Billy. Oh, Daddy. Yeah. Zuzu, my little ginger snap. How do you feel, huh? Fine,
10: Daddy. Not a snitch of temperature. Not a snitch of temperature. Hallelujah!
14: George, George, darling. It's Mommy. Mommy's home. Mary. what is it? We can't open eyes yet, Mary? What's going on here? Now, now, keep your eyes closed. Now, I'll just walk you over here by the Christmas tree and... Well, the
13: people, I hear well, lots of
14: people. What, what is it? Lots of people. Just one minute now. We're all ready, Uncle Billy. Come in, everybody. George, look.
13: Just yes, look. Uncle Billy. Money, George. A laundry basket filled with money. Money for you. Mary did it, George. I Mary. Un- I don't understand. What money?
10: What
14: People heard you were in trouble, darling. These people, your friends, they've collected this money for you, the eight thousand dollars. Charlie, hey,
13: there's Mary. there's Martini, uh, Mr. Gower. Hey, how are you, Mr. Gower? Mrs. Thompson, Ed, Tom, everybody. Huh? None of us'd have a roof over our heads if it wasn't for you, George. Garth, oh, this is wonderful. Hey, Mary, look, look who's coming in, Mother. Hi, Mother. Hey, and Harry. Got Mary's telegram,
12: George. I flew in as fast as
13: hey, I could. Hey, everybody,
8: a toast. How about a toast? Yeah, oh, a good idea, Ernie. A
12: toast to my big brother, George, the richest man in
11: town.
10: God. The be Daddy, sister, good old acquaintance, Daddy,
11: take this to dinner. there? to bed. Here, honey. Here's your bell. Daddy.
14: Dolly, what's this on the table, here?
13: The, uh, the Adventures of Tom Sawyer. Oh, Lord,
14: there's something written in it.
13: Dear George, remember no man is a failure who has friends. Thanks for the wings. Love, Clarence.
14: Clarence?
13: Yeah, he's a very dear friend of mine.
14: Daddy, this is well said every time a bell rings, an angel gets his wings.
13: That's right, Zuzu. That's right. That's right. At a boy, Clarence. At a boy, Clarence. Happy landing.
8: It's a wonderful life so long as we can have such fine performances as we enjoyed tonight. From Jimmy Stewart, Donna Reed, and Victor Moore. Jimmy, I'd like to thank whatever guardian angel whisked you back from Texas for our show this evening. Well, that guardian angel was an airline's wing,
13: uh, Bill. You
14: were in Texas for the premiere of this picture, weren't you, Jimmy?
13: Yeah, Frank Capra and I went down for five openings as many nights. Pretty good, Donna. All down of them there in, Texas. in Texas, yeah. Texas, Jimmy. Yeah, every one of them. Five premiers over Texas. You know, it's a pretty big state. Takes that many. Days. <laughs> yeah.
8: Jimmy, I'm sure your fans were proud to read that you received an honorary degree from Princeton just the other week.
14: Yes. How about that, Jimmy? Do we call you professor now?
8: No, 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 no. It's just an MA. A
13: oh, Master of Arts. Well, I It might have been. I don't know. It might be for murdering architecture. That's what I studied
10: at <laughs> <in> Princeton.
8: <laughs> well, you know, Donna has an honorary degree to her credit too. LLC. What's that, Bill? LLC. Well, you can see it for yourself. A lovely Lux complexion.
14: Well, thank you, Bill. Or rather, thank Lux toilet soap. It's a wonderful complexion care. I use it faithfully.
8: With wonderful results, I see. Uh, what's happening next Monday night on Lux, Bill? Next week we have another of the season's most successful films. It's 20th Century Fox's thrilling screen hit, Leave Her to Heaven, with lovely Gene Tierney and a star who appears in answer to literally hundreds of requests. Cornell Wilde. This based on the best-selling novel of the same name, Leave Her to Heaven is the strange dramatic story of a woman whose twisted mind and fiendish jealousy drive her to any lengths to hold the man she loves. Now that ought to make great listening, Bill.
14: I wouldn't miss it for anything. Good night. night.
8: Good night, night and thanks a million. Lever Brothers Company, the makers of Lux Toilet Soap, join me in inviting you to be with us again next Monday evening when the Lux Radio Theater presents Gene Tierney and Cornell Wilde in Lever to Heaven. This is William Keeley, saying good night to you from Hollywood.
11: Here's a sure way to save on your meat and grocery bills. Turn in used patch kitchen fats to your butcher and receive a generous price for every pound. The worldwide supply of fats is still desperately short, and every drop you save helps in the making of soap, refrigerators, and other needed items. So save and turn in your used kitchen fats. Donna Reed appeared through the courtesy of Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer, producers of The Beginning or the End, starring Brian Donlevy and Robert Walker. James Stewart will soon be seen in the Robert Riskin production for RKO, Magic Town. Victor Moore will soon be seen in Roy Ruth's production, It Happened on Fifth Avenue. Our music was directed by Louis Silvers. This program is broadcast to our men and women overseas through cooperation with the Armed Forces Radio Service. And this is your announcer, John Milton Kennedy, reminding you to tune in again next Monday night to hear Lever to Heaven with Gene Tierney and Cornell Wilde. When you bake and fry, for your
2: cake and pie, it's your shortening by Rely Rely on Spry.
5: Want fried foods crisp, golden, better tasting? Try Spry, the pure vegetable shortening that gives you delicious, better tasting fried foods. So digestible, too, the Spry way.
8: Rely on Spry. S-P-R-Y. Rely on Spry. S-P-R-Y.